This week's episode is brought to you by ArtyWater.com, a light, refreshing, nutritious beverage with extracts of apple, lemon, and mint to highlight the earthy flavor of the artichoke with a touch of monk fruit for sweetness. To learn more about Arty, visit ArtyWater.com. Every drop says, Party with Arty. Hello and welcome to YHTV's nominated show, Magical Medical Tour. This is episode 101. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Christina Suzuma, and with me is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Hello, Dr. Woolman. Hello, Christina. <laughs> 101, huh? 101. I feel like saying 101 years old. <laughs> uh, no, but I'm looking forward to episode 200. There you go. Another That's celebration. Another celebration. We had a good one last time, didn't we? Yes, we did. Yay! Uh, nothing, nothing wrong with a little champagne during an interview or a talk? No, no. I just wish our guest was close enough so we could share, the, share some with them as well. <laughs> that would have been great. I think Sharon would have liked that. Very much so. Uh, my understanding is that afterwards she had a glass of champagne. Oh, that's lovely. Without yeah, it was us. great. Wait a minute. We should have been there. I agree with that. <laughs> so greetings, everyone, and welcome to Magical Medical Tour. I'm Dr. Glenn Wallman. I'll be your medical guide along with Christina today as we search another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy looking for optimal health. And Christina, I know you know where we're going today, right? Oh, yes. Oh, look at that. It is the doctor's the, bag. <laughs> definitely. It's the doctor's bag, yes. and we're going inside. That, I thought it was as everyone could see, that was your official title on that bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I thought it was time to bring out some props. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So I just want to let everyone know that at any time during the show, you can feel free to ask a question, make a comment, just by scrolling down, typing it into the comment box. And we'll be sure to get it to Dr. Woolman um, or give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK, and be sure to leave your contact information so we can get back to you on that as well. Thanks, Doc. <laughs> You're welcome. I have, a, I have a question about that. Yes. Uh, you know, of course, many people are watching it at various times of the day, mm -hmm. and sometimes people are listening uh, three weeks later or a month later. Can they still get in touch with us, even if it's a show that, that went on? How, yeah. how does that work? Uh, yes, they can. They can. As long as... Uh, they type it into the box. Um, we will definitely know which show it's coming from. But if they call, then they have to be more specific. So even if it's a year or so down the line, we would definitely try to make sure those uh, comments or, or questions get to the guest, uh, whoever we're interviewing at the time. Yeah, so if, they, if they're watching it, they can go to the box where it, and type it in. But Correct. if they're not and they're just listening in a podcast, then they would just uh, call in when they get home. Somewhere, don't call from your car if you're driving, unless you have a hands-free. We don't want to have an episode on that. <laughs> yes, and, and as long as, um, when you call in, as long as you leave your contact information and who it's specifically for, the question or the comment, we'll make sure that it gets to them. Right. Uh, another way to do it would be if you go to my website, glennwallman.com, and you can... Uh, then subscribe to uh, our show through that, and then you'll get information on the show and when they're coming out and what it's about and who's going to be in it. So that would be another way to get information to us. There you go. There's many different routes. Right. There's more than one way to defer a feline. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I, I don't know if you've been watching the news lately, but I've been watching and they've been talking about the MERS virus, M-E-R-S virus, the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome virus. Mm. There's now two cases in, in uh, the United States that have uh, come here. One is in Florida. I'm not, I don't remember where the other one is, but people are watching that. And of course, uh, Magical Medical Tour is way ahead of the curve here. I think if you go back to episode 65, we in another Inside the Doctor's Bag, we talk about mm-hmm. the MERS virus. Mm-hmm. So if you want to learn a little bit about it, uh, go back to episode 65. Mm, thank you. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. It seems like uh, there's a lot of respiratory issues right now, here in Los Angeles at least. There's always going to be. Yes. Yes, it's quite major right now. I don't know if it's because the weather change has been quite drastic, very dry. So everyone's uh, coughing up a storm. <laughs> yeah, and you know that the predators out there, the viruses, the bacteria, they're starting to uh, increase and people are traveling more. Yes. You know, you get people from other countries where viruses are more prevalent and they fly here or you're on a plane with someone that has it and they're going somewhere else and you're coming here. There's lots of possibilities now to get things. That's why it's so important to try and be as healthy as you can all the time. Mm. Mm. So today, inside the doctor's bag, we're going to uh, develop a health plan for people. And usually when people hear the word health plan, they start thinking of the Affordable Care Act or their insurance company or the benefits and things like that. But anybody who watches this show usually knows that when I talk about a health plan, I'm talking about more personal things, what you can do for yourself and to be proactive in your own care, uh, to be healthy, uh, preventive medicine, preparatory medicine, staying in the best health, eating the right foods, nutrition, sleep, stress management, spirituality, patterns of behavior, all the things that we always talk about. So today, we're going to do that again. When people uh, are on a production line, anybody that's watching this show that, that works on a production line, say you make cars in Detroit or somewhere else, and you're the person that attaches the door or the rearview mirror or something like that, it seems to me that as part of being on a production line, it's always good to see the finished product. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. Now, I want to know what you're working towards. <laughs> yeah, not only that, but what other, what other reasons do you think would be important for people somewhere on the line? And it doesn't have to be just production of a product. It could be somebody who's a teacher producing a student. Um, what do you think the reasons are that it's important to... Uh, see the finished product for your own personal purposes? Hmm. I, th- I would say for myself, it would be to see where I can improve. So let's just say if it's a project or something, if I can see the finished product, <clears throat> um, then I know what I'm striving towards, but also what, you know, where some of the, I could, parts of it that we could improve on or we could do better. Right. To, and we called it in the hospitals all the time, tin, uh, total quality management or continuous quality improvement. We're always looking for things like that. And we also want to know that the product that we have is a good product, mm-hmm. aside from just looking at it for that. And, you know, I, I look sometimes at uh, different apparel, clothing apparel, and you open it up and you see inspected by and there's a number 
So there's people that are always inspecting things for a finished product to make sure that it's good for everyone else. And you might be saying, why, why am I talking about that? It's because in our body, we have a number of production lines. We produce things within our body. And today, I want to talk about some of those production lines and the finished products and why it's important to analyze those products the same way for quality improvement, to see what needs to be improved, and to make sure that things are going well. We'll get more into that a little bit. But basically, there are many things that the body produces, and we're not going to talk about them all. You know that we produce blood cells, uh, we produce tears, we produce lymph, uh, many of these things. We even produce sound. But we're not going to analyze all of those today. The ones we're going to talk about today are perspiration, mucus, urine, and feces. All of those are part of a body's production line with an end product. And the key here, and why I felt it was necessary to talk about it, was so that when we have the opportunity to look at the end product, sometimes it can give us clues as to how our body is doing on the production line to make sure that the end product is okay. And to be proactive in your own health care, it's important to examine these uh, products that we have produced, which may give clues that will be early warning signs that something's wrong. And the key to knowing that something is wrong is knowing when something is right. That makes sense, right? Uh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So I, I had to think I'm, about that. It was like the key to. <laughs> right. So the point being that it's important to get used to what your normal production products mm -hmm. are. And the more you can recognize that this is normal, when something abnormal occurs, then it becomes more obvious. That was one of the important things in medicine and going through medical school and going through internships and residency, the more things we saw that were normal and that we recognized as normal, when something appeared as abnormal, it became a little more obvious to us, which helped in, in recognizing first that there was something wrong and then going to find it. So the key here is for yourselves, and you have the perfect opportunity because you're always producing perspiration, you're always producing mucus, you're always producing urine, and you're always producing feces. And so you have the opportunities here to get lots of what's normal in this area. And I think that's the key. So we're going to go over that a little bit today. Does that sound right to you? That sounds great. <laughs> Let's <laughs> see I, how abnormal things are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think that uh, you know, you, I know you do a lot of this, so I'm preaching to the choir here, but uh, it, it will be helpful for me to uh, have you adding in the ways that you do your part in it and the things that you're looking for. So let's start simply with perspiration or sweating. Mm. You know, that's an interesting process. Now, in sweating, the main reason that we have sweat mechanisms, and it's fascinating mechanism, actually, uh, the whole process is for what we call thermoregulation. Thermo is temperature. So 
Sweating's main purpose is to uh, regulate the core temperature of the body. And you know that when you get too hot, that's when you start sweating and the sweat comes out on the skin and the air uh, tends to evaporate it and cool it. And then the blood from around the skin returns to the heart and that's a cooler blood and it uh, lowers the core temperature. So that's, uh, that's just a general concept there. What we know so far is there's really in mammals, there's two types of sweat glands. One is the eccrine or E-C-C-R-I-N-E, and the other is the apocrine, A-P-O-C-R-I-N-E glands. There is a mixture of those two glands, but for the most part, you have the eccrine glands and the apocrine glands. And these two are the ones that uh, produce most of the sweat for us. The eccrine glands uh, are about 75% all over the body, whereas the apocrine glands are only in certain areas, and they comprise about 25% of the body. People have different uh, conditions that can happen with sweating. You can have too much sweating. You can have localized sweating in one area, and you can also have um, not enough sweating. So these are all important things that people just need to know, and it's a good idea to understand uh, about your own sweat. Normally, the sweat itself or the perspiration, you can go sometimes up to two to four liters in an hour, depending on where you are and what you're doing. Wow, really? Yeah, up to two to four liters per hour under certain circumstances. And of course, a few things are, are important in that. One is your health your weight, um, your fitness level. Also, um, it's, Im- it's important to have heat regulation, so if you're in a hot area. And the other is emotional uh, stress. So physical stress, heat stress, emotional stress. And one of the interesting things that uh, you, you never think about, except when it happens, is that actually eating certain foods can make you sweat. You know, I, I don't really eat hot peppers, but I'm guessing that you do. Uh, yes, you've guessed yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> that was not a hard reach for me. But, uh, but sometimes you recognize if they're really hot, you know, you feel like you're sweating a little bit. Oh, yeah, you do. Right? right? You do. Oh, yes, yes. I yeah, can so, remember eating a whole meal of like a wonderful curry and you're just pouring with just sweat. <laughs> right. Right. I do that occasionally with Indian food. I, yes. I suddenly I'm tearing and and different things are happening. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that's true. Uh, interestingly, most of the sweating that we do is uh, is controlled by the brain. Hmm. So there's these little sweat glands on different parts of the body uh, that that send messages to the brain, and then the brain sends messages either through nerve stimulation for certain of the sweat glands to stimulate them to sweat, or uh, through hormones uh, to stimulate the other uh, types of glands to to cause the sweating. And then, uh, so it's interesting that within the process, it's a brain thing rather than thinking, oh, it's just on my skin. Uh, the sweat itself usually is consisting of water. It also has electrolytes in it. And the most important electrolytes are sodium chloride. And anybody that's tasted sweat before, you know, t- 
taste kind of salty, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But th- there are also lots of other things in it. There's urea in it, and there's potassium, and there's calcium and magnesium. A lot of the mm. trace minerals are in it. And also, we've talked with Kabir Southwick and detoxification and, and other things come in it. You can have chromium and nickel and lead, copper, you know, iron. All of these things can be found uh, within the sweat itself. And it's interesting to look at the uh, glands and where they are and where they aren't. There are, in the eccrine glands that we talked about, right, the ones that are all over the body, there's a few places that they aren't. And I thought that was kind of interesting that I would mention. The margins of the lip, the nail bed, the nipples, uh, part of the inner surface of a foreskin, part of the labia minora in the female uh, vaginal region, on the glands penis, the head of the penis in the male, and on the clitoris, the, no sweat glands there. Uh, I know everybody is writing that down. That's important to know. <laughs> <laughs> but, we, but we also know that we have lots of sweat glands, it seems to be, in our axilla or our armpits, the uh, palms of our hands, the soles of our feet, and our cheeks. And a lot of times, emotional stresses, which I mentioned earlier, can cause some of these to happen. When you're under an emotional stress, you can start feeling yourself sweating, your palms get wet, things like that. So it's very important to just be aware that the sweat glands are out there and they're doing things for certain purposes. But in recognizing them, I think it's a good idea to, uh, and this is the part where we're talking about today to examine the sweat uh, on various occasions. So are you sweating appropriately? If you're out working out or you're in a sauna or it's a hot day and you're sweating, that's good. But if it's a hot day and you're working out and you're not sweating, that may be something important to know and talk to your doctor about if it becomes something that um, becomes chronic. Because remember, sweating is about thermoregulation or regulating the core. And if you're in a hot area and you're not sweating, that means your core is staying too hot. You're not cooling down. And that could be a systemic problem that you need to know about. Also, uh, in looking at the sweat, normally it should be somewhat thin, clear, watery. But sometimes if it changes, then it's important to know that. And just once you know the normal, then you can recognize the abnormal. And not necessarily will you know what the cause of the problem is, but it's something to keep an eye on. And then when you have a doctor's appointment, you might want to mention it. One of the things that we actually had for a very long time was a sweat test uh, where we diagnosed cystic fibrosis. Are you familiar with that at all? Mm, No, I've heard heard of of it. You've heard of it. It's mainly something that kids get, or we see it mainly in kids, and it's an inherited disease where uh, we can test the sweat, and what happens is that they do not have a specific gene in their body which controls the movement of sodium and chloride and water in and out of the cells. And when this gene is absent and you can't control it, more sweat is coming out, more sodium and chloride is coming out. And the cystic fibrosis actually causes a problem where because you can't water things down, mucus gets produced more and more and it becomes very thick and tenacious. And this mucus can be found in the throat, 
in the face, in the lungs, in the pancreas, in parts of the gastrointestinal tract. And if there's too much mucus, as you can imagine, in the lungs, for example, children have a lot of trouble breathing. And if it's in the pancreas or digestive tract, you have a lot of trouble with absorption. And for many years, cystic fibrosis was diagnosed with a sweat test where we mm. examined the sweat. Now, we've gone past that. We still do the sweat test. It's a good screening device, but we have genetic testing now, which is much better for that. And there are actually some treatments for that now. So it's not as bad a disease as it was uh, many, many years ago. It was almost sudden. It was uh, you were going to die. It was a fatal disease, but now it can be controlled somewhat. So, so, so basically the child would just continue like having uh, sweating and, and mucus would continue to build up in the system? Correct. And the place that we see it most in a child and most quickly is in the lungs. Hmm. So if those lungs get filled, you know what happens when you have a cold and you have all sorts of mucus in your head and and you're trying to cough it up and it feels really thick and you're not breathing well? Mm -hmm. Well, that's what happens to these uh, little lungs that are just becoming filled with mucus and the air can't uh, pass as well. So it's a a great struggle. Hmm. And it also, interestingly, like I said, it happens down in the gastrointestinal tract also. So um, if you don't have any questions about perspiration, uh, this is a perfect segue because we're talking about mucus and cystic fibrosis, and we can go on to speak about mucus. Uh, Um, But before we do... Okay. (laughs) No, go ahead. You have a... yeah. So so far, I mean, you you did cover, you know, like what uh, what we sweat out, etc. Now, what about the odor? Because that changes as well, depending on what we eat. So so does that does that is that odor from the the body, like the the higher levels of the different minerals that is exiting our body? Yes, exactly. And some of the foods and some little bits of toxins. So that's mm. another reason, and that's a very good point to uh, recognize the odor. Uh, so this is important in knowing what's normal. Mm. And, and in all of the things that I'm going to speak about today, I think if you're checking yourself and you're recognizing the normal, when something is abnormal, your first your first response should be, that's abnormal, and just leave it at that. But Mm. then what you need to think about is go back to a day, two days, three days, something like that, and think if there's something you were exposed to. You know, you went out into some uh, big agricultural area, and you were suddenly exposed to a lot of pesticides walking through a farmland, and then two days later, your sweat smells a little different. Or if you ate something abnormal, uh, then your sweat smells a little different. So it's always a good idea after you recognize that something is not the normal to think back and see if you can find a cause for it. And if, let's say you do find a cause, you ate something or you were exposed to something toxic, you recognize this, you watch it for a few days and then it's gone, then you did the perfect thing that you should do as a healthcare provider for yourself. You recognize the problem, you analyzed it, you felt there was a cause for it. The cause was taken care of by the body's mechanisms, and it went away. Perfect. If it doesn't go away, then it's an important time to 
watch it and talk to your doctor about it. Good question. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, I, you know, when you talk about sweat, I think that's what people tend to focus on is like, boy, do I smell? <laughs> mm-hmm. right? right. Right. You know, and, uh, and that, that is usually uh, a big uh, tell sign of, of what might be going on in the body and someone's diet. Usually a lot to do with the person's diet. Yes. And also, as I said before, their <clears throat> uh, level of health, their weight, those are things also. And mm-hmm. Be sure that sometimes if you're sweating abnormally or you notice something abnormal, it could be something systemic in the body. Remember I said that the the sweat is controlled by the brain. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this could be potentially a first indicator, Uh, usually not, but it could be something that indicates that there is something wrong systemically and not just about what you ate. Mm -hmm. So always be aware of that. Yeah, I I like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, controlled by the brain. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I'm soaking. <laughs> <laughs> right. Going to right. meditation. <laughs> going to meditation and go into it in a cooler place. No, there are there are lots of abnormalities that can happen with sweating. People can sweat too much, people can sweat not enough, people can sweat in just localized areas. Mm-hmm. Uh so all of these things, and then you there's, should... Re- there's the cold sweat. That's more of a, a nervous, Sweater. emotional. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that one is usually due to, uh, it could be sometimes from a fever, of course. You know, if you're sick and you have a, a viral infection or a bacterial infection or something else. But it could also be a, an emotional issue. Mm. Okay, so I'll, I'll look out for those too. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about cystic fibrosis and its mucus production, and that's a great segue into our next uh, body uh, excrement or excretion, uh, mucus. Mm-hmm. And in this area, what do we know about mucus? Uh, most of the time, our relationship to mucus is it's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Right? <laughs> you know, the only time you're really aware of mucus is when you have too much and it's too thick and it's coming out and you can't get rid of it and you feel miserable, usually with colds or allergies or sinus problems, things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So most of us think that mucus is this evil thing going on in our bodies <laughs> that's just there to annoy us and make us miserable. But actually, mucus is probably one of the most important um, aspects of production in our body. Some people say that the mucus is actually um, the same as oil would be in an engine. The mucus is found in many different areas. It's found in the sinus areas. It's found in the nose and the throat, a little bit around the eyes, uh, going down into gastrointestinal tract, a little bit in the lungs, um, the pancreas, all of these areas. And it serves many purposes. It serves, first of all, as a barrier on the, on the surface of the cell, and it oils it, and it keeps it moist and, and allows it to continue doing whatever function that cell does. You know how we always speak about it's down to a cellular level, right? So those cells are always trying to do what they have to do. So if you could imagine what happens if the mucus dries up, 
and the cell starts drying up and it looks like a parched piece of you know desert it's cracking and dry and the cells don't do what they're supposed to do so it's very important to have mucus in our body and most of the time the mucus is produced and it sort of drips down into the back of our throat and gets into our stomach and intestines and we're not even aware of it most of the time it's only when it gets uh really thick or and there's inflammatory processes or infectious processes going on that cause that increase mm, mm, uh, interesting <clears throat> yes well, i find up- that that uh like a lot of people uh myself included like after the body has rested all night long in the morning there's a buildup and and i always thought well it's like the body detoxifying and there's all this buildup and then you just sort of cough it out in the morning and that's it it's done it's done for the <laughs> it's sort of done for the rest of the day yeah yeah see that's that's the great thing about the body the the parts of the body that are really the most important like breathing and heartbeat and mucus production these are done under controls that we don't have mm. uh, under in the in the brain stem and the most primitive parts of the brain and the autonomic nervous system that we talk about that control that if i said to you right now christina i want you to think about every breath for the rest of this program at some point you'd say to me i'm exhausted i can't, I can't do that anymore <laughs> no, i'd go into strict med- meditation. meditation yeah i'd be floating away <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that would happen too there's some people that practice that but eventually uh, once you go into that flotation device, y- your body takes over again and starts breathing for you. Mm. And the, the mucus production also has some other things that it does. It, it serves, as I said, as a barrier, and it's very sticky. So if bacteria or viruses come around it, uh, sometimes it can grab them and not allow them to move and penetrate into a cell where they would do much of their harm. So it's a, it's a great mechanism. It's the oil for the engine, and it's also a protective barrier mm. to have uh, all of these uh, things that might enter into our body. Sometimes toxins can be stopped by it. So we should love mucus. And part of the reason that uh, you know when you build it up, yes, you are building it up and in the night, but part of it is that you're usually... Uh, unless you're a cow sleeping upright uh, or a, <laughs> a, a bat sleeping upside down, you're usually horizontal, so it doesn't have that gravitational force pulling it down. So if you mm. start sleeping while you're standing, that might be the cure for you for having that giant glob of mucus right. for, your, for your morning meal. <laughs> well, that, that's <laughs> what makes so much sense, that uh, when I used to have... Um, those terrible respiratory conditions, I'd sit up to sleep because mm-hmm. that was the only way I could sleep. You know, the buildup was so bad, I'd be coughing all night trying to get the mucus out. But, um, you know, when I sat up, I could actually get a couple of winks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <sighs> Makes sense. So, you know, then we talk about how much is too much. Well, too much is when you're starting to become more aware of it and that's when you have to start thinking about possibilities especially if it's coming from your head uh and it's draining out of your nose or something like that you have to start thinking about sinus conditions infections allergies and and if you get to know how much there is then how much normally there is and suddenly you see an increase 
Uh, and sometimes, and many times, it's accompanied by other symptoms, of course. You have uh, the runny nose, the runny, itchy eyes, the redness, and if it becomes a real sinus infection, you may have pain and redness over one of your sinuses up around your forehead or around under your eyes, around your nose, wherever the sinuses are. Uh, one of the problems that we see is how people deal with this a lot. Most people will immediately go to, uh, what do you think people will do? Oh, the most common that I've seen Mm -hmm. or heard of is people will go to the drugstore and pick up a decongestant um, or um, something to stop the runny nose or the mucus. Absolutely. And that... And dehydrate their whole system. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's that's right. Uh, and it actually dries things up, and then it cracks, and then you start getting a nosebleed or something like that. Very important to be aware of that. In fact, they actually now have a disease based on um, based on people going to get over-the-counter or prescription drugs for nasal sprays and decongestants. Mm-hmm. It's called rhinitis medicus. Rhinitis, rhine is the, like rhino is the nose, itis is the inflammation, and it's it's a inflammation of the sinuses and nose, essentially, from medication. Oh, so, that's interesting. Yeah, and it's the same. We've talked about this with the neti pot also, where, uh, again, if somebody uses a neti pot, which might be good for a few days, it's very good. But if you use it continuously and chronically, uh, it can cause other problems. And I'm important also, and we're not going to get into a neti pot lecture, but it's a good idea usually to use uh, a specific type of solution, at least a sterile one or something, you know, clean, clear sodium chloride rather than uh, necessarily tap water, which I always use. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I don't always use that, but sometimes, but I also make sure that I only use small amounts and I don't do it often. Maybe the first day I feel like I'm getting a cold. I tried to use it to get rid of the viruses, but I don't use it for four, five, six, seven days. Uh, So that's very important. So what do you have to do to look at what's important uh, to look at in mucus? Well, first of all, mucus most of the time is clear. It's kind of thin, kind of clear, kind of watery, right? So it's when, when you see... Uh, the things you're looking for is increased amounts, and then you're looking for the texture. Is it becoming thicker and more tenacious? And a lot of times if you blow your nose, I'm not saying you should feel through it like a doctor might do that in a in a surgical suite where they're feeling things or someone in the laboratory, but if you have it in your tissue or your Kleenex or your uh, handkerchief, you can kind of get a look at it and and examine it a little bit. Feel it through the tissues if you want to see if you can get an idea of how thick it is. And then look at it. Is it clear uh, or does it have things in it? And what kind of things could be in it? Sometimes blood can be in it. You know, if you tried to dry out your nose with the decongestants that you suggested a while ago, uh, you might see blood in it. Little amounts of blood, okay, especially in relation to what's happening. But if you start seeing copious or massive amounts of blood, then you may have to go to the emergency department because you may have bleeding that's going on that needs to be controlled uh, more than you can control it with pressure, something like that. 
<clears throat> the other things that you want to look at are the color. Uh, normally, as I said, it's clean, it's clear, it's uh, watery looking. Sometimes color like green, uh, you could see green mucus. Uh, and a lot of times people think that that's the um, you know bacteria or something like that. Most of the time it's actually parts of the antibody production within the body that have these uh, green tints to them. Uh, and they get into the mucus and that comes out. So if you see the green, it means there is something going on. It means your body's working uh, well to take care of it. So keep an eye on that. And sometimes you could see something where it gets a lot darker, darker brown, um, <clears throat> or uh, a black in color. And that, that might mean more of an infectious type process going on. So again, if you know what your normal is and you're starting to see something abnormal, then that's when you have to recognize it. Did the consistency change? Did the color change? Uh, are there other things in it? That's when it's important to look at that. And sometimes you can even recognize it after eating something abnormal. Remember we talked about if you uh, have uh, certain spicy foods and it increases the mucus, you can look at that also. Hmm. So any thoughts on that? Just looking at the mucus the color, the texture, the consistency, and the amount. Hmm. So, so what did you say that if it was green or yellowy, that is partial? Uh, what, what, what did you say that was? What's happening is we always used to think that if it was any color other than the clear, mm -hmm. that it was probably due to some kind of an infection. Yes. And it's not always an infection. It could be an inflammation like a rhino, uh, an allergy. You know, you have a sinus inflammation. And within the body, chemicals are being produced, antibodies are being produced, enzymes are being produced to help uh, clear out the inflammatory process and get rid of it. And what we're seeing is that it's more the bodily production of appropriate chemistry that ah. causes that greenish color. Interesting. Yellowish green color. Now, wait a second. When you say interesting, does that mean when you don't say interesting? <laughs> I'm not saying well, anything because, cool. Because, because <laughs> <laughs> you know, when, when you've been raised to think a certain way or to look at something a certain way, that, uh, you know, the yellow and the green was always a sign that, you know, an infection is building and is coming on. And, uh, you know, usually... Thank goodness I haven't seen much of the dark brown. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, dark brown? What's that? <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, I don't think I've let anything go that far. <laughs> well, it's interesting because, you know, when we look at learning and we look at knowledge, there's, there's two parts to that. One is what people learn on the street, and that's passed on on the street. And it continues to stay that way. The, the wives' tales, the remedies, a lot of these things. And then there's also the science that happens. And at the beginning, the science and what happened on the street were the same. We didn't know too much. We didn't know there were bacteria and viruses and enzymes and proteins and antibodies. And we didn't know the mechanisms of mucus and, and, uh, sweat cells and sweat glands. We didn't know all this. 
And what happened is a lot of the people on the street still stay with the same concepts, whereas the scientists are finding out things. So, it, And that's the reason for this show. One of the reasons for this show is to take a lot of the street knowledge and bring it into the science to put it together so you can have a better health care plan and know what you're talking about when, when things are going normal with your body and when, when things are going abnormal with your body. That's why we do this, Christina. I love it. I just love it. That's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <clears throat> so, uh, again, so for mucus, look at the amount, the texture, uh, the color, and things that might be in it and what's causing it. And again, same thing as with the sweat. When, when you suddenly see something has changed from the normal that you have grown to know, uh, the first thing is to recognize is that it's abnormal. And then the second thing is to start thinking of what could have caused this. And you start thinking about it, and hopefully you can come up with a solution. And if you find that reason for the cause, then you watch it. And if it's a serious reason, then you need to go to the doctor right away. But if it's a simple reason, you can then watch your body doing its magic and taking care of it and getting rid of it. And as long as you don't have other symptoms of things, then you may be okay. As I said before... Uh, with a lot of these things, it may be the first sign, but there may be other accompanying signs. And if you don't have those accompanying signs, then that's a good thing, and it's less reason to worry. If you're not, if you're increasing mucus, but you don't have a fever, you don't have uh, redness or swelling somewhere, tenderness, things like that, then you can watch it for a little while and just work with it until the body gets rid of it through the magic, or uh, it gets worse, and that's when you see your doctor. But then when you do see your doctor, you also can, can give a much better history because you recognized it three days ago. Mm-hmm. That's when it, and rather than saying, oh, I don't know when this happened. I don't know when it started. But because you're watching Magical Medical Tour, you're taking care of your healthcare plan, and you're doing all these good things, you can go to your doctor and say, this happened two days ago, and there was nothing that happened before it. I, didn't, I wasn't exposed to anything, or I was, or I was exposed to someone with the measles, um, you know, traveling on an airplane, all sorts of reasons that you could have something. <laughs> and then you go from there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, 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 love, I love looking at mucus and everything. <laughs> it's because it's really fascinating to me. Well, it's really it's, fascinating the way the body develops it, the way you have to track what's going on, the way it shifts in color. And even my son now knows, Mom, it's yellow. <laughs> you better come and take a look at this mom there's this little spot of blood in it now it's like okay well it's dry drink more water you know? <laughs> it's great you know you bring up some really good points first of all uh, the fascination with the body and how amazing it is even if I would suggest that everybody go and look up uh, sweat glands and look at the intricacy and how the little sweat gland you know that's right under your skin uh, does all of the things that it does. It's all fascinating. But even more important than that, the thing that you brought up was about uh, children. And this, I think, is the real key. If, you're, if you are brought up going, ooh, blood, you know, I right. don't want to look at that, then that's going to be part of your healthcare plan. So you're going to avoid things. You're not going to recognize when things are wrong or when things are normal and things will be going on longer in your body and causing more damage than for the person that 
recognized it earlier. So I think the thing that you just brought up is to teach your kids, parents, (laughs) (laughs) to honor this. This isn't yucky. This is part, it's our production Mm -hmm. uh, line. We are producing these things. And if we want to produce better things, then eat better things and breathe better and exercise more. But teach your children to recognize these and to look and to examine and not be afraid of it and to recognize what's normal and what's not normal. And that will be such a a benefit for them throughout their life. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. thank you for bringing that up. Mm -hmm. I I was going to bring that up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just led you into it. (laughs) You, You did. You did. That's why this is such a good show. (laughs) <laughs> I love the next I love the next topic, you know that. Urine? Oh, is it urine next? Oh. I do like gun. You like feces more than urine? Uh yeah. Okay. It's more fun. It's more fun <laughs> to look at. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think I think we should have one of our psychologists on today <laughs> for our next discussion about that. Uh, well, it's, it's 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 a better family discussion. <laughs> analyzing well, I'm, poop you know <laughs> i'm you know i'm hoping at the end of this that i'm going to add three other aspects to your family discussion oh i love so, it oh mom let's not talk about feces tonight let's talk about mucus <laughs> yeah mucus will be good and, and then someone else will say i want to talk about urine <laughs> so again urine now it's another one of our body mechanisms it's, it's on the production line when you take things into your body, if they're water-soluble, uh, eventually things go from the body into the bloodstream. They circulate through the kidneys. The kidneys do all of their magic, and the kidneys are just amazing in the work that they do to keep the body uh, balanced with the right amount of uh, electrolytes and minerals and things like that. The urine, the kidneys are always checking and saying, wait, the body needs a little more sodium. We're not going to put as much sodium out in the urine this time. We're going to save it for the body. And then so there'd be less sodium. Or if, or if the, there's too much sugar because of diabetes, too much glucose, the urine, the kidneys will start to say, we need to get rid of some of this glucose. And they'll start putting out more uh, glucose into the urine. So the urine is a very important aspect. It goes uh, from the blood to the kidneys. Each kidney has a tube called a ureter, and those ureters go down to the bladder. They enter on each side of the bladder. The bladder then takes the urine and then out through a tube called the urethra, uh, and then it goes out into wherever uh, you put it. If you're a guy, you could put it anywhere. If you're a woman, usually into a toilet. But we always have to look at a number of things with urine. And we have to look at color, odor, like you suggested before, substances, uh, like little filaments or things like that that might be in the urine, uh, blood, (coughs) clarity, and transit time is another good one. And we'll talk about that in a little while. So it's, uh, it's one of these things that normally urine's color is uh, an amber, kind of a light yellow, light clear to a yellow. And again, this could have to do with what you're eating at the time. And that's why it's important if every day you take certain types of vitamins that change your 
urine color to a very pretty orange, maybe. Uh, there you goes need the to bees. <laughs> there goes the bees. Right. And there's a little thing. We have to save the bees in our world. I'm not talking about the bee vitamins, but <laughs> just going off on honeybees. We need honeybees. But yes, the, the bees are the important ones. So if you take them and you recognize that your urine is a little darker and you know that it's because of that, then that becomes your normal. And uh, if you dehydrate it and it becomes a little darker, then you know you need to drink a little more water. If it's nice and clear, then you know you're probably drinking the right amount of water. Uh, so the other things that you need to look at are substances. Do you see little threads or pieces of tissue in the urine? Um, these could be signs or indications that something is wrong, say, in the kidneys. Parts of the kidney tissue is breaking down, and it's being passed out into the urine. And this could be one of the first signs. If you always know that your urine is clear and suddenly you're seeing uh, cloudiness in it and, and some kind of what looks like a little bit of tissue, not tissue paper, but some kind of a, a cellular tissue, then it's important to recognize that and watch that carefully. because you may be picking up something that is just starting and it's before all the other symptoms, the back pain, the fever, the blood in the urine, the nausea, the vomiting, all of the things that can happen with certain kidney diseases. You may be picking it up much more uh, in a better time sequence and getting to your doctor where they can recognize something more quickly and take care of it before it gets to a point where it's irreversible. Certainly, you also want to look at uh, blood. You know, if you see some blood in the urine, that's not normal under normal circumstances. So it could mean that you're passing a kidney stone. It could mean an infection, an inflammation, many different things. But again, it's not really necessary for you to make the diagnosis. Your job is to recognize that something is abnormal, watch it for a little while, and if it goes away, then keep an eye on it. If it comes back at another time, recognize maybe the causes of it. But if it doesn't go away, it gives you the upper hand uh, to know that it's time to go see your doctor. <clears throat> uh, one of the things that I think is interesting, it's kind of a fun thing for all of us, is the transit time. I talked about that uh, for a few moments. In other words, how long does it take from the time that you, say, drink some water or eat something to uh, get into the urine. And one of the ways you can test that, and I'm sure you kind of know this in a way right now, is with asparagus. Huh. Have, you ever, have you ever had asparagus and noted that there's uh, a different smell or aroma to your urine afterwards? Yes. Okay. Why, yes. Do, you think, why do you think that is? The way it breaks down? Is there a certain... Uh, 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 mineral or something that is carried in the asparagus that goes into our bloodstream faster? Absolutely. And, and it's called, uh, yes, it's, a, <clears throat> it's something that's broken down and it becomes a sulfurous type of amino acid. Hmm. But, and it, gets, it goes into the urine and out. And the thing about it that's very interesting is it's actually volatile. And what I mean by volatile is that it becomes a gas. And that gas is released, and because it's a gas, it can float up to your uh, 
face where your nasal passages are. Now, the interesting thing is that there's a certain part of the population, maybe 25%, that claim that their urine doesn't break down like that. <clears throat> and what we know, or what we found recently, is that everybody's urine, or most everybody's urine, actually does break down like that. But what the people that can't, uh, that don't smell it, it's because they don't have a gene that allows for them to recognize the smell. Really? Yeah, so it's not really uh, that you're not producing this sulfurous, uh, volatile gas. You are probably producing it, so it's just that you can't smell it. That's so interesting. I was going to say, well, they must have a stopped-up nose like me. Right. <laughs> um, so now, in those cases, it's important always to pee with someone else. That, <laughs> that's, that why, know, that's why the men's lavatory is the way it is. <clears throat> right. So, um, we can... so, so, so does it matter the amount of asparagus that you eat? Uh, you need to have a certain amount, uh, but uh, very little. And it usually sometimes you can you can find that smell within the earliest is maybe around fifteen minutes, but sometimes it could be up to a few hours. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Uh, okay. But the, but and there are some other there are other things that can smell. Uh, I don't want to go into things like that, but there are other foods and things. Uh, you know, people that have diabetes, they may smell a more sweetness to their urine. Um, uh, different types of diseases of the kidneys can, or urinary tract infections can make the odor uh, much less uh, appealing. Mm. So again, all of those things, it's very important to do what we call a macroscopic urinalysis. Look at your urine, and you could you can talk about also how does it come out of your body? Be aware of the awareness. Does it come out easily or is it painful? So these are indicators that something else may be wrong. We're always looking for other signs and symptoms. If it comes out easily, uh, depending on also the amount. You know, we know how much should go uh, usually in an amount per hour or per day or things like that. Now, that doesn't mean you have to pee into a cup, um, but you certainly can if you're part of your own healthcare plan and you're requiring that for your insurance, <laughs> but, uh, it's just, uh, get to know it, get to know how much, how it feels to be urinating. Is there anything abnormal? The color, the consistency, the transparency, uh, the cloudiness. Is there any cell sediment? Uh, is there any blood? Sometimes you can actually, we see this in people, um, that have been electrocuted. For example, sometimes the uh, when somebody gets electrocuted or a lightning strike, uh, muscle tissue breaks down. Mm. And muscle tissue has, you've heard of hemoglobin, right? Yes. Well, muscle tissue has myoglobin. And sometimes if you start getting breakdown in muscle tissue, that myoglobin can go out into the urine and give it the appearance of looking somewhat bloody. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, so there's a lot to it. Again, mm. It's not the purpose of today's show is not to get you to become a diagnostician, but just to become aware of your body's production line and when something is normal and when something is abnormal. Mm -hmm. Well, there you go. You see, we, I have uh, my child pee into a cup 
when I see something might be a little <laughs> a little glass jar so that we can analyze it together and go, oh, you see, it's so dark right now. That means you need more water. <laughs> right. <clears throat> and it may mean that you need more water, but it may also mean, as we said, that there is an infection going on mm-hmm. or that there's <clears throat> an inflammation going on or something else. So, uh, yeah, and people that have uh, kidney stones, for example, or know that they have a kidney stone, Sometimes when they have that pain in the back and then it starts moving down, sometimes they start peeing into a cup and, and they can see that uh, little, uh, little, little, little thing that seemed like it was a gigantic meteorite uh, until you see it. <laughs> it. It must be at least 200 uh, meters in diameter until you see it and it's a millimeter. Uh, but it could be very painful and when you do see that. So peeing in a cup is not a bad idea every once in a while. Hmm. There we go. Okay. <laughs> so any questions on uh, urine? No, peeing is good. And, and isn't it that uh, certain foods like beets also change the color of the urine? Yes, beets can change the color of the urine and the stool. So that's another important part that we talk about. When you do, again... When you do see something abnormal, because you've watched and you know what normal is, when you see something abnormal, the first thing is to recognize that it's abnormal. The second thing is to start thinking about what could have caused that abnormality. And the first thing usually to go to is some type of an exposure, either an exposure, uh, a toxic exposure, or a food exposure. You exposed yourself to beets or other foods. You know, you could have foods that have a lot of... uh, maybe purple in them, grapes or uh, I think bergamot will have some uh, color to it. But always look at the foods you're eating or look at things that happened in the last few days, and that may be a clue. And when you have that as a clue, you look for it, and you could test it. You can stop eating it, and then if the urine clears up, you know, and then you can, as a scientist, you could say, I'm going to eat it again. And then 24 hours later, you see this color again. You say, oh, my kidneys are functioning perfectly. Bless them. (laughs) Yay, kidneys. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yay, kidneys. All right, so we we move on? Yes, to my favorite one. To your favorite one? (laughs) You know, I think before I talk about it, and since it's your favorite and you've declared that, how about if you give an introduction to feces? Oh, well, okay. I I think... You know, as we're raised, um, so many of us is like, oh, poop, oh, that's gross, and and all those wonderful uh, uh, stories. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, boy, it's for me the most fascinating. It, it really is because, you know, um, as I you know grew up and started seeing Chinese doctors and things like that, and and they always ask, you know, what what. What is what was your excrement like today? And then you have to describe it and, and everything. So it got me to the point where, wow, this is like, like, what are you looking for? You know, I'm always asking, what are you looking for? Like, is there certain things that you're looking for? And of course it is. And of and with um also Dr. Kabir's input with the Ayurvedic medicine, that's the most mm-hmm. important thing is to go several times a day, you know, with every meal. And, you know, just looking at feces every day you know, uh, learning to analyze it, to see if if we are needing certain things in our diet, if, you know, and, and to really see how it shifts if the body's under certain strain. It's 
fascinating. And, you know, between the stresses in life or when we're eating really well and feeling great and high energy, you can see the different shifts right in front of you every day. <laughs> Hopefully you do go every day. <laughs> you know? That's a good point also. And all of that, that was a great introduction. Uh, I like that. Uh, it may be tough to follow, actually. No, you just turn around and look. <laughs> you know, and it's fun. It's actually really fun for kids because I've brought my, my child up looking at it like since he was able to go potty in the toilet. So right. I'd always go turn around and look, you know, is it hard? Is it float? Does it not float? Is it breaking up? You know, and, and it's great. It, I mean, I don't expect him to remember all the things, but at least there's an awareness and there's no fear behind it. That's the key. Right? There's no fear. And it's like, oh, it's really smelly today. Oh, yeah, that's really smelly one. Well, what did you eat last night? Well, you know, it's, it's amazing how the different foods and, you know, if he's consumed more sugar, the way it changes. It's fantastic. <laughs> it is fantastic. It's almost, if you, if you think about a magician, you know, the magician is up on the stage with the big hat and the cape and the wand and everything, and he puts... Uh, a handkerchief into a box in front of you, right? And then he closes the box, waves the magic wand over it, and then opens the box and out comes a pigeon, right? <laughs> so there's something like that. So the same thing, in a way, we've got this magic thing. We put this pizza into our mouth, or we put a cake <laughs> into our mouth, or we put a vegetable into our mouth, or uh, a steak into our mouth, and they all disappear and out comes feces. <laughs> it's magic. Abracadabra. Abracadabra. <laughs> we should all walk around with wands because things are happening. And it's amazing the process that the body goes through uh, to produce this species. And we should be honoring it. Thank, thank you for uh, allowing me to make feces. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So the first part. Uh, again, in analyzing it, is to uh, make sure you're doing it. Yes. You know, and be aware how often it happens and what it's like when you're actually having the bowel movement, when you are defecating. Mm -hmm. uh, is it something where you're having to strain all the time? Is it coming out too loose? Is it coming out at times when you don't want it to? Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is it coming out simply and easily? Um, it's. It's part of the recognition factor. You can even play a game with it. You can actually try and imagine the shape of what you're going to see based on what you're feeling uh, as it's coming out of you. See if you can predict what it's going to look like. But we don't have to get into that for this show. That could be <laughs> That'd be that a fun could, kids show. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. Just try and guess the shape. <laughs> but it's part the feces is the waste product of our digestive system. It includes bacteria. And it includes all of the things that uh, we've talked about in the past. The liver and the bile have to get into it uh, in the upper part of the intestine. The transit time from the time that it goes into your mouth to comes out of your uh, rectum. All of these are important. Your general health. Uh, so the feces uh, gives you an indication of your general health and your digestive system. The color usually of the feces, that brownish to tannish color, uh, is usually from the bile uh, that's produced in the liver and through the gallbladder. 
sometimes a little bit of bacteria, and sometimes mucus. So when you see a normal stool, it should be, uh, for each person, maybe a little different, but it should be semi-solid. It should have a mucus coating on it, uh, and its color should be consistently about the same uh, based on what you're eating, of course. And and you mentioned, is it floating or is it not floating? And all of these things have to do with what you're eating, how your health is, how your digestion is. So the normal color, we say, is a brownish color, and that's from the bile, bilirubin, a little bit of red blood cells. You can get, there are many other types of colors that you can see. A yellowing color might be due to certain types of infections or uh, gastroesophageal reflux disease. Everybody's using the words GERD now. I don't GERD? Know you, GERD? GERD. G, yeah, G-E-R-D. <clears throat> gastroesophageal reflux disease. Uh, oh a lot of people are looking at that now. Hmm. There's also uh, a clay color, sometimes a pale or a clay color. And we see this in people that have uh, gallstones or liver disease, gallbladder problems, pancreatitis, where the bile that's being produced in the liver is not enough or that's not getting into the intestines. And so the stools will have this very pale color. Uh, one of the indicators for us uh, when we would see people with hepatitis all the time is the first two things that they would notice, or one of two of the first things they would notice is that their urine got darker and their stools got lighter. And that right away when we hear that we start thinking about things like hepatitis um, and uh, we start doing a workup for that you can also see black stools or red stools certainly red stools can be because of bleeding uh, and the brightness of the blood sometimes can tell you how far down in the intestinal tract it's occurring if something is occurring up in the throat there's bleeding in the throat, and it goes down through the stomach, through the small intestines, through the large intestines, and out. By the time it gets out, if it's a normal transit time, which might be a day or two days or three days, then it's usually a very dark color. Whereas if you have a hemorrhoid right near the tip of your rectum, or you have bleeding that's very close to the exit, um, then it might be bright red. So if you see red or black stools, these are sometimes indicators that there's gastrointestinal bleeding, and you can uh, tell uh, sometimes based on how quickly it goes through, whether it's higher in the intestine and you need to look for an ulcer, or do you need to look for something lower down. Um, and then there are you know, other colors uh, we've talked about. There's blue colors, actually. Somebody that uh, is being treated for different types of poisonings, radiation poisoning, uh, or some types of toxins. They're, they're treated with medications that can turn the stools blue. You can have silver stools. There are a number of problems that go on that cause silver stools. Green stools, a lot of different colors, violets and purples. All of this can happen. But the key, again, is know what your normal is. And then if you see something abnormal, start thinking about things that might have happened. Were you under emotional stress, which might have caused abdominal pain, which caused some bleeding from an ulcer? Or did you have, as you suggested earlier, did you have beets two days ago? One of the things that you can do 
to check the transit time uh, of stools. Unless you have a, do you have a question on the color or anything like that, Christina? I want to know what black is. Black is usually due to uh, blood that breaks down and it's been mm. in the intestines for a while. But other things can cause black too. If you take, uh, for example, a lot of times if I go up into areas where there are, I'm going to certain elevations or I'm going to countries where I'm concerned about some of the foods causing intestinal uh, problems, I usually take uh, Pepto-Bismol. And that has a bismuth uh, substance in it that turns that turns things black. So the stools can uh, go to black. The other things to talk about are the transit time. If you want to know how quickly you eat and it goes out your poop, eat some corn every once in a while. And, <laughs> and don't chew it all and see how long it takes to get down into uh, your feces. <laughs> So, uh, I would say, you know, again, look at the uh, color, the consistency. Does it float? Does it not float? Uh, is it oily? Things like that. And if you recognize something abnormal or if it looks like there's blood and it continues to happen, then it's clearly important to go see your doctor for that. So, I think in, you know, kind of summarizing this whole thing, we are a production line. We produce many things. It's important for us to continue to produce quality things and to make sure that that quality is based on a healthy body, a healthy mind, a healthy spirit. So look at, look at all of these excretions, get to know the normals, get to know the abnormals, and do your own reading on it and, and go to your doctor if necessary. And there you have it. Mm. I love this. <laughs> this is so much fun. I, I yes, I, I think if we become more aware, um, and it's just uh, so quick, so quick, just to to be aware of uh, the smells, the colors, uh, textures. I mean, it really has. I know it's changed my life by doing it. There's no excuse not to. That that I think is the key here because this is about our health care. And we always have senses about complaining about the doctor didn't make the right diagnosis or they waited too long or they didn't do this test. It's always focusing on what someone else didn't do correctly. But I think the first part of taking care of health is what you do correctly. Yes, I, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, we, we need to take things into our own hands and so that we can support um, what the doctors are, are helping us to diagnose. And I do believe in one of our earlier shows of The Doctor's Bag, Glenn, I, I do believe that you you did a show about um, preparing for a doctor's visit. Mm -hmm. And that is really important. And and this is all part of it. You know, these these points of our production lines and and how we know things are a little off and what they are so that if we can give our notes over to the specialist who has to analyze it. It helps us and helps them find um, the direction of what it might be much faster. Yes, and it also, you know, you have a tendency as a physician to honor somebody that recognizes their body and what's going right and what's going wrong. It, it feels good to know that <clears throat> at that point, you're working with 
in conjunction with your patient or your client rather than you're just you're the person taking care of them and they're not involved so it's it's a very good process and teaching your kids to do it and them teaching their kids it should go on wonderful so do you have a tip a health tip <laughs> oh, we you can know, check your poop <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, well, I have. Uh, I was thinking just now that uh, when you said take it into your own hands, I, I, <laughs> I, I'm not sure that that would be my health tip. Although I would not be against that. Wear gloves. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, I was thinking, and we talked about um, how when we talked about perspiration, we talked about there's an emotional comment or uh, content to that, and emotions are very important because if you have uh, if you're stressed out emotionally, that can produce cortisol, and that can produce stress, and then that can produce inflammation and mutations, so that's not good. So I was thinking this this past week uh, during a meditation about uh, grudges and holding on to something, you know, and the more that you hold on to things that are not good, uh, the worse it is for you. And one of the ways that I came up with as a solution for myself to think about not holding a grudge was to use the concept, be in the moment. And if you're in the moment, if you're in the moment when the reason for the grudge happens and you get angry and, or hurt or something like that, that's appropriate. That's just a normal human response. But after it happens, and if the person has forgotten about it or they've apologized for it, but you just can't let it go, start thinking of the moment. And when you're thinking of the moment, in the moment that passes, they're not doing that same thing anymore. So it doesn't make sense to have the grudge in that moment or the next moment because that thing is not happening anymore. So I would say be in the moment and analyze things from that moment. If there's nothing happening in that moment that causes you despair or angst or stress, then you should be free of that. That's a great tip. Was that clear? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Huh? That's, a, that's a really nice tip. It's, it's uh, not always easy to do, but no. it takes practice. It, it takes, takes practice. Yeah. You know, we, we want to... We want to love and have compassion for everybody but sometimes we get confused and we have to remember that that doesn't mean we have to tolerate bad behavior so when bad behavior happens uh things should happen mm -hmm. to change that behavior one way or another but holding on to the thoughts about that bad behavior long after the behavior is gone is more detrimental to yourself mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. just think in this very moment are they still doing that to me? And if the answer is no, get over it. Absolutely. I love it. <laughs> thank you for the wonderful tip, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Right. And thank you, everybody, for uh, being with us today on Magical Medical Tour, Segovia, and all of the Yoga Hub team. Uh, I want to thank all of my healers and teachers for helping me to be on my journey. And I'm looking forward to another week. Uh, exploring the healthcare galaxy with you, Christina. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for being part of this today. And to all of our listeners, no matter when you listen, wishing you all optimal health. <laughs>
<laughs> Thank you, Dr. Glenn Woolman. And of course, to each and every one of you for joining us in this new platform of education and information. We're always grateful for your continuous support, and we look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. Please connect with Dr. Glenn Woolman by uh, looking him up on his website, glennwoolman.com. And through there, you know, you can... Um, uh, actually subscribe uh, to be receive his newsletter and of course to the show and uh, follow along his blogs as well and of course we always encourage people to learn about the metaphor square breath it's a very powerful art form and I was actually doing it with my son this morning as he was having cramps <laughs> So again, we are always grateful and we love to hear from you. Um, and if you are a speaker, uh, if you would like to be on our show, we would love to hear from you. Give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK, 818-LET'S-TALK. And until next time, namaste. Namaste. 